0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Monstrous Regiment Featuring a roundtable of dominion women Seeking to honor Jesus Christ in applying God's word Fearlessly and faithfully In all callings and seasons of life Both in and out of the home Reversing the curse And smashing pagan strongholds
1: adoption a biblical mandate is adoption a biblical mandate i'm tony kolb with the monstrous regiment and i'm going to be interviewing don haynes and um don why don't you go ahead and just give us a little bit of of your background
2: yes my name is dawn haynes and i'm 53 years old soon to be 54 and I'm um, happily married to my husband for almost 29 years now. Wow. And, and when we, um, we got married in uh, 1990, and we thought we would have three or four children. And um, God's providence was that we would go through infertility. And after going through infertility for a number of years, we um, ended up adopting two precious children, miraculously, um, domestically, and then miraculously got pregnant with four children. And then after getting pregnant with four children, had two miscarriages, and we're like, oh, my goodness. We and we couldn't end our family on two miscarriages, even though we had six children already. And so uh, we adopted a little boy from Guatemala. And then after that, um, the day that we left to get him, I found out I was pregnant with our fifth bio- biological daughter. And then after that, we were like, okay, we have eight kids. We're doing pretty well. And our oldest daughter prayed that we would consider adopting from China. And so we started praying about adopting from China and we adopted two little boys back to back. And then we came home with them from China. And then all the kids said, we need to adopt a little one with Down syndrome and we need to go to Albania. And we found a little girl in the waiting childless and we brought her home. And then after that, everybody who had been at the orphanage and took eight of our kids with us all said, we have to continue to adopt because there's a lot of kids. And they all said, how many how old can you and dad be before you have to stop adopting? And I said, well, we're not that old yet. I guess we can keep adopting. (laughs) And so we adopted a little girl last year, and um, now we're in process to adopt. And she was from China, and we are adopting a little girl from Bulgaria and hoping to go meet her for the first time in April of this year. So we have 12 children, and we're in the process for our 13th.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, how I actually... um know of you is through your son's video um about the adoption of your daughter with down syndrome and um which was absolutely amazing and um i I, i've gotten to know connor a little bit and just think he's an amazing young man um but then watching his video of your family um you just became one of my heroes (laughs) really (laughs) truly i love the story um so so you kind of already started to tell us that what started your adoption journey was the fact, um, that you were infertile. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, I'm, I'm just curious that you're obviously, you have many children and everything do, um, what do you, what do you tell people who say, Oh, well that's good for you. That's that's your calling and, and I and we're really impressed with that. But we really couldn't we really couldn't handle that or we really don't want to look into that at this time. What what do you tell people?
2: Well, one of the things we say is that um we're not called to anything but salvation. And when you look at the scripture, if you Google the word called or or look it mm-hmm. up in any of your um, Bible commentaries. The word "called" is always used with, in relation to our salvation and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I would look. I mean, just even before I got on the, um, this call tonight, it's like First Thessalonians two twelve and First Corinthians one nine. There's a whole bunch of verses about being called and called into fellowship with the Lord and He who calls us and we are not called to adoption, um, nor is anyone called to a specific ministry. We're given different, different gifts. That's very yes. clear in the word. And we all have different gifts and different talents and different abilities. And God prepared good works for us in advance to do. But, um, the word called, um, is, is, is inappropriately used, I believe. And the scripture does command us to, um, do something it doesn't say specifically adoption but god's heart the father's heart is towards adoption without a doubt um he, the bible says that he sets the lonely in families and he's the father to the fatherless a defender of widows he watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow i mean just verse after verse of his care and his love for the fatherless and um i was uh there's a, Quote that I did not write down because I had screenshotted it. Um, I wasn't sure we were going to be videoing, so I thought I would have a chance to pull it up. But it's by Francis Chan, and maybe I can give it to you at some point. But um, he shares with it, him in the quote about um, assume action. He goes, So many times we are looking for God to give us, a, you know, clear, should we adopt, should we not? Or, mm-hmm. And it, basically, to all, all Christian couples should assume adoption unless God says no. And it's, I really believe that there's a lot of wisdom and validity in that. And I think that if the church were to embrace that and people were to run towards that, like assume that God wants you to, you know, have either foster care children in your home or adopted children in your home or taking in even unofficially, you know, being a mentor, um, someone who's caring for children who otherwise wouldn't have a place to be. uh, I think that, um, we would have a clearer understanding of the gospel because the more we uh, practice doing what the Father does in our lives, uh, it, it gives us a real clear picture. So
1: yes, that's um for a lot of people, uh, even you know the Christian, the church, that's very radical thought process. Um, and sometimes um a lot of people will say, well, um, I'm financially not well off. I, I can't really afford um, an adoption. And and I know that your family has obviously done quite a few. Uh, can you share maybe a little bit like how you afforded that and what you would um, encourage other couples with? Sure. Um,
2: it always comes back to faith. Um, absolutely. I
1: think that um,
2: even when, when we were we got married and we were, um, when we faced infertility, we realized uh, having children was a matter of faith.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um and just letting God control our family size was a, a step of faith. And I think that a lot of times Christians, we like to use the word faith, but um, when it comes to actually exercising it, it's a whole <laughs> different matter. Yeah. And so um we've come to realize that in you know, in Psalm fifty, verse ten, it says that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and he owns it all. And so if if, if obviously we know his heart is towards fatherless. We know that he loves the fatherless. He wants to set them in families. So why would he not provide for for us if we're willing to take that step of faith? And he has time and time again, without a doubt. Uh, He has been so incredibly faithful, whether it's my husband coming home one day with a bonus check that he wasn't anticipating and putting on the counter and said, well, this is for the next adoption, or whether it's been um, talking about from friends of ours who went to um the ukraine to adopt two children at the same time and when they left they were needed ten thousand dollars more and they didn't know where they were going to come up with it and the wife went to go pick up these two little girls and while she was there they kept praying that lo- the lord would pre- bless them with the money and as they were there um the eight, the com- the the country said oh these kids these two girls have uh, accounts that we set up for them for caring for some of their medical needs, et cetera. And she had heard from other families that those accounts usually had about $7 and 62 cents in them, like, like nothing. And she's like, Oh yeah, well, sure. We'll take the money thinking I'll buy myself a, a drink or turn it around and give it to the orphanage for diapers or something. And yes. they, they turned around and handed her the, 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 the money from the account. It was $10,000 from the two accounts. And oh so my God. Their, their daughter's adoptions were paid for by these accounts that like for no for any unknown reason that the country was giving them money to bring these girls home. So, you wow. know, I think about the gold coin in the, in the mouth of the fish when, you know, Jesus said, go, you know, down, you could pay the tax. It's right there. He has it all. We just need to ask. And so our last adoption, we, um, the last two adoptions, we actually did a fundraiser called both hands, which is amazing. One hand for the orphan, one hand for the widow, based on James one twenty seven. And the the process is basically instead of running a 5K, you work on a widow's house and you get people to sponsor you to work on a widow's house. And the money that comes in, all the money that is donated is put towards the adoption and all the expenses for the widow's house are from the um, local businesses that donate their time, their money. For, for free, for free paint and whatever. And uh, we raised uh, $42,000 for our last adoption. We only needed 35000 So it was like the loaves and the fishes. We had 7000 left over. And yeah. we were able to turn around and give that money to another adoptive couple. So God. Wow. finances if someone says finances are a problem it's really faith they need to go back and realize that their concern is not really about finances it's really about trusting god and having the faith to believe that he will do what he says he will do
1: and that makes sense right when um i'm just thinking of how we apply that in all sorts of different areas we we obey first and then god provides and yeah. so it makes sense um with adoption i think people um just have a lot of concerns because it's involving it's such a huge step it's such a a, something that's going to affect the rest of their lives and this child's life and so um they people do start to get uncomfortable thinking well i don't have all this money but you are living proof that (laughs) um obedience has its rewards and god does provide that's awesome So um, another um, thing, um, some people worry about how their biological children will adapt to having adopted siblings. Um, And I just wanted to ask you, how did your biological children uh, adapt and um, how did they also participate in your adoptions?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, of course, we started off with adoption. So our first two are adopted and then we have four bios there in the middle and then another adoption, another bio, um, et cetera. But, um, our, so that, uh, our older kids were adopted. So our bio kids grew up with adopted siblings right from the beginning. Uh, But honestly they have, they're the ones who run with it. Um, in fact I could go upstairs and grab out four or five letters that our kids have written us, um, over the years, whether it's, you know, with, you know, $10 tucked in, with a note saying, take a step of faith, we need to adopt this child, or whether it's a poster that was hung up um, around the house saying, this child needs a family. When when are you and dad going to realize we need to move forward? Uh, um, the bottom line is, is that we say that our kids are the ones that have driven our adoptions. Uh, we were very content with eight kids and our old, older daughter, Lauren, was 16 at the time and was praying that we would consider going to China to adopt. And the question didn't become should we go? It became why wouldn't we go? Uh basically we have we have a home um, homeschooling, we have the resources medically, et cetera. Like it would be basically saw as being selfish not to. Mm-hmm. And when there's all these millions of children that need families. So uh basically we our kids have really been the ones that have said you know, you have our blessing. And we said, well, this may mean that someday you will have to care for, uh, you know, a sibling that has special needs um, when you're an adult. And when we were looking at adopting care, my husband was very nervous about adopting a little girl with Down syndrome. And he said to Emily at the time, I think she was, maybe, I don't remember, 12 or whatever. And she, he says, you know, what are you going to do? Like when you get married and what if your you know, spouse is in an agreement? And she looked at him and she said, I'm a born again Christian. I love Jesus with all my heart. And she said, I would never marry someone who wouldn't let one of my siblings move in because they have special needs. And she said, so you're crazy to think that I would even marry someone who wouldn't have be have the same heart that I have towards my siblings. And so- it it has been our kids who have driven the adoption. In fact, people say, well, it's not really fair. You're robbing your kids of time and attention and there's less dates and less time to do things, you know. And mm-hmm. our kids will say that they would not, even on the hard days, would not trade in their adoptive siblings
1: because um, they're the ones who have advocated to bring them here. <laughs> Well, yeah, that was going to be my my other question um, because we you do have some you know many children according to our culture, and um, I I just wondered have people ever approached you um, about your family size or criticized you for your family size?
2: Yeah, basically, our family size has been really um, has been an,
1: an intriguing
2: conversation starter for most um, un, non-believers. They really are like kind of they think of you as like um, they called me a saint and I go back and say yeah I am a saint but because I'm I'm I have a relationship with Jesus Christ not the way you put me as a saint because you think I have all these kids and I've done a heroic deed Um, so try to use that as a a springboard for conversation with the gospel Um, and they having many adopted kids has given us great opportunities we have um, Connor who you mentioned earlier made um, these gospel track cards that share the gospel. There's a picture of our adopted kids on the front or what each kid has their own card and with them on the front with basically the gospel message on the back. And it's just a great opportunity to get the gospel into people's hands because people will not turn down a card with a photo of a child on it, especially when my kids like to give out their own photo cards. So I'll hand a, a card to someone and then someone has the gospel and, you don't you know when you don't have an opportunity to share it so it our family size has been nothing but a blessing um especially with non-christians i think the most criticism we get is from the church um we happen to be going to a church right now that has larger families so we don't get that necessarily from where we are now but i think in general the church is the one that is um does not see children again it's a step of faith because it's it's uh they don't see, you know, when Jesus said, you know, call the little children unto himself and um blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. Uh it's just those are the verses that I think Christians tend to forget. And I think it makes them uncomfortable because when you when you become radically obedient to the Lord in the area of letting him control your family size, and then radically obedient and adopting and radically obedient we're taking my mom in this year um, as a widow and we're building an addition onto our house. I think when people aren't doing that, they feel like they don't measure up. And so it's easier to be critical than it is to be supportive because being critical, like then they don't makes them feel better if they're not doing it. So yeah, that
1: makes
0: sense.
1: So, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that um that it is possible for people to um, neglect their kids or not invest in their children. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the size of the, of the family. Cause you can do that with one or two kids um, or, you know, it doesn't, yeah. the size isn't
2: what's, it's the parent's heart. Right. Correct. And, and honestly, I mean, my kids will tell you, you know, that there are going to be, there are sacrifices that will be made, you know, when you have a big family, you know, you know, you might have a, you know, a night that a sibling puts you to bed because mom and dad are helping somebody else with something. And so that Thanks. does happen. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, we, you know, we make an effort. They all have, you know, for Christmas time, we all get a individual date with mom and dad for the year. And then for their birthdays, we take them out one-on-one for their birthdays. And so we try to, you know, they don't maybe get it as often as they would, but they also have gained a lot that other they feel like other kids get ripped off when they have their own bed. They know that their kids are like, I can't imagine having my own bedroom or, you no. know, like they, 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 laugh like we miss one or two kids from the dinner table. It's like, our family feels like it's really small. and We look around and we're like, well, we still have, you know, eight kids here and it feels really yeah. small, you know, <laughs> you know?
1: Well, I know um, just within my own family, I only have um, six siblings, which kind of sounds small compared to your family, but, um, I know that every time a child was added to my family um it just seems to expand the love it didn't, it didn't seem like there was less love in the house there was there was more when each baby was a new individual person and we it was a celebration it wasn't something to um to be sad over
2: <laughs> yes and that's been the case with us as well
1: yes um so um i was going to ask if you have adopted solely internationally um but i think you did mention in the beginning that you had um um, adopted domestically in the beginning correct okay um are there any cautions that you would um give with international adoption any warnings or
2: Yeah, basically with international adoption, I think, I mean, most of the countries that you can adopt from now, I mean, a large majority are Hague countries and the Hague, um, there, it it protects the children. Um, I'm not saying it's foolproof because I don't think anything (laughs) governmental is foolproof, but Mm -hmm. I think that there, it does have more safeguards attached when there are more, um, requirements and, um, you know, making sure that a child truly has been abandoned, making sure that every effort's been made to try to find a child's parents, etc. So I think that there's a lot more safeguards in place with countries that are uh, participating in, in, in the Hague, although there are some countries right now that you can adopt from that aren't Hague accredited, which puts, doesn't mean that they are You know, there aren't legitimate. And I think that there's a lot of legitimate adoptions that happen there. But I think that children can be trafficked um, where children are not. I think that's one of the reasons that Guatemala closed down. Um, It was I, I, I mean, you know, speculation is that, you know, there were children that were being, you know, bought so to speak uh, and 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 trafficked out not 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 necessarily all of them or you know even a large majority of them but I think if it was happening even just to a few uh, but you know unfortunately when that happens then you know everybody misses out and then there's orphanages are too crowded and kids are struggling and there's abuse (laughs) so um, they maybe are being spared being trafficked but now they're they're in. They have a different set of problems that they're facing. Right. So it's not. It's not. It hasn't been a fix. Let's put it that way. So, I so think, yeah. I guess, yeah. Looking at, I would definitely recommend um, doing your research, finding out which you know what the countries you know and where how they're finding their children. Um, you know how the children come to them, and especially if you you know were to find a child that's you know quote unquote one year old healthy child somewhere my antenna would go up that that would be a child that would be likely, you know, have been trafficked in some sort of way um, because okay. most of the kids are um, special needs at this point for international adoption.
1: Okay. And so you would look to see if that country was, you said Heg
2: H-A-G-U-E.
1: Oh, okay. And um, then also, I'm assuming that you also work with uh, kind of a middleman, like a, um, an agency that helps you find these kids. Is that true? That is true.
2: Yep. And if you, we worked with um, uh, different agencies over the, but um, we've been, we've worked with, uh, we're on, we've been working with three different Christian agencies over the different adoptions we've done. And there are wonderful Christian agencies out there that are definitely advocating to, you know, find families for kiddos and um, Mm -hmm. that are really concerned about the welfare of children and not just, placing them for adoption, but also, you know, helping them stay in their country of origin if they can, advocating mm-hmm. for them to be able to be adopted in country, as well as uh, setting up foster care type situations for these children. So they're, you know, long-term care for children, whether it's adoption or just even if they want to stay in country. hmm
1: Okay. And, the, and does that make it um, maybe more safe too to make sure that your adoption's ethical having that middle person?
2: Yes. And I think that, I mean, even with, uh, even with mid, a middle person, I think some of the adoptions from some of the countries that weren't Hague affiliated, I don't think anybody had any idea that kids were maybe being trafficked. I think people thought these were legitimate orphans um, right. I think looking back in hindsight. You know, it's like, oh, wow, that does make sense. But, you know, I think people had the best interests in, in mind. Um, I think there were people that the people that knew what they were doing kept the people, the other people in the dark, so to speak. And I think that, you know, that could still happen. But I think it happens much less frequently. And especially when you have, you know, you know, in China, most, all the children that come, you know, to an orphanage have been abandoned um, on the street. Um have been found. They all have a finding place. They all have their photograph photographed and put into the newspaper um, mm-hmm. looking for them. Like, you know, if anybody knows the whereabouts of the parents of this said child that was found on the corner of such and such, such and such, you know, so they will, you know, try to recruit the parents that way. Most of those children have been placed, you know, in a prominent spot because the parents don't, you know, want any harm to come to them and they realize that they. You know, with the one-child policy, et cetera, they aren't able to um, adopt, um, uh, I mean, I raise those child so they feel that the child's better child's better interest to be adopted because then they know the child will get the medical care, et cetera, that they need. So,
1: yes. uh, yeah. So. And it is true. Uh, you were talking about how uh, many international adoptions, the children um, are handicapped in some way. Um, I just recently um, found, um, a site on Instagram called Reese's rainbow. And they're constantly putting up, um, pictures of children that are handicapped that need homes. And I didn't realize that there are so many children out there that are, and, and not they're handicapped, but that they, they'll time out and they're put in institutions where often they can't get the medical, Um, treatment that they need. And sometimes they even die in those institutions. And I think, I think a lot of us don't here in America, we're so sheltered, (laughs) you know, we're in our happy bubble. We don't even realize um, the huge need that's out there. That
2: is true. And honestly, the um, having gone, um, taking the kids with us to Albania, um, which you saw in that movie grafted that Connor created, uh, taking the kids there and having them live in Albania for almost seven weeks and get to go to the orphanage every day and um they were so excited because at first they were allowed to go in and hold the babies and give you know give them their bottles and then one day the um the head nun of the orphanage said, "No more going in and feeding the babies and my children were looked at her like why and she 's like too much time in the arms, they become spoiled. And she said, and when you leave, then no one can hold them. And then they cry. So they have to learn to cry and learn that they cannot be cared for when they want to be cared for. And they, they outgrow it, then they can join the the other children. And it was very hard to hear. And my kids just sobbed. We're like, every kid needs to be, you know, loved and nurtured and held. And they would just put the babies behind closed doors (laughs) with their bottles propped with a, you know, a stuffed animal. And if the bottle slipped out of their mouth, so be it. And it just broke our hearts because we would be there at the orphanage, just hearing babies behind the door sobbing. And they had an older girl that was not older. She was only six, but she was blind. And they would put her to bed at like four or five, between four and five in the afternoon. And they would put her in the furthest room from all the other children because she was noisy and, she would just be in her room rocking back and forth in her crib or banging on her, on her crib. And a couple of nights I would sneak back there and just sing her a song or just smooth <laughs> their arm. And, but I'm like, that's just like one little glimpse of a time that I can help this poor child that needs a mom and a dad that needs someone to be there 24 seven and care for them. And so having been in these orphanages and like, Sometimes it's not a lack of love. It's a lack of staff. It's a lack of ability for them to minister to their needs. Um, And it's, unfortunately, these children, you know, need families. And until the church wakes up from its slumber and from its self-indulgence and from its fear and all the other things that are preventing people from running, I said, we as christians if we're really christians and that's my concern i'm like if we're really christians then we there should be a list of christian families waiting for the next child that doesn't have a home rather than millions of children waiting for families to step forward while millions of people call themselves christians and you know aren't running i mean they should be running and one of my favorite videos, and I can maybe give you the link that you could put on to your site, but it's yes. uh, by um, it's called "Depraved Indifference," and it's um, by uh, um, Eric and Leslie Ludy uh, out of um, um, their ministry. But it is unbelievable because it gives you the focus of that child is God's child, and we should be running to them to rescue them, and care for them, and minister to them. And there shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't have children that you know if people aren't adopting the healthy ish ones, then no one can be running to get the ones that are really <clears throat>
1: struggling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. And and you base that belief off of the Bible, right? Like James one twenty seven you were wow. mentioned. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Where it's talking about that we're literally commanded to take care of the widows and the fatherless and that and i think you're right i think we we are blind and apathetic to to that commandment um um is there anything um that you wish you had known beforehand um is look you know hindsight is sometimes really <laughs> is there anything that you can share with us that um, for those of us who are looking into adoption um, maybe some advice?
2: Yeah, really. Um, I don't, I think when we first started adopting, obviously we, we were doing it to grow our family and there's nothing wrong with that for people that go through infertility. I mean um, that, you know, it's a way to grow your family. It's a way to have children because God has created us, you know, to procreate, to nurture, to have children. And, um So that's wonderful. But I think that in my mind, you know, we got our daughter. She was seven hours old and our son was seven days old. And in my mind, I was like, well, just love, you know, just lots of love. And, you know, the fear and admonition of the Lord and just um, train them up in the way they should go. And I did not realize until um, much later that the uh, attachment and trauma that these children come to you even at seven hours old and seven days old, which, you know, just losing their mother's voice and you think you're expecting and you've got that baby has heard your voice, has heard your husband's voice, has heard their, you know, your, your extended family's voices. And to suddenly take that baby and place it in a totally foreign environment, automatically the neural pathways in the brain are shifted, and so if you were to do an MRI of a of a baby's brain, like your baby that's going to stay with you, and then another baby that was, you know, the, born the same exact day, and even if you both ate the exact same healthy food and whatever, and that baby were to be, you know, check both of you, both those babies were to have an MRI and check the, you know, the the brain the brain scan, they would be totally different because of just the just losing and then you add on top of that children that have been abandoned and um children that have maybe been abused and some of the children in the foster care have gone to multiple placements so once you have all those things um the issue of attachment is really important so like you know we you know one of the things our social worker encouraged us when we were in country when we were traveling to China it's like don't bring a stroller you know bring a a sling carry your child everywhere even if they're heavy. just build those that attachment that connection and when you get home don't have big parties and have lots of people over spend time at home cocooning just be at home as a family like be in a cocoon and like a bubble so to speak and where that child's world is real small then you gradually let it get bigger and it's really important to just really, you know, understand that they're coming from what um, they, what we now understand is called hard places. Um they're, you know, just even, even if they never had any, you know, trauma other than just losing their birth parent, right? still trauma. And there's you know, great books um, out now. Karen Purvis wrote one called The Connected Child. There's mm-hmm. um, books, um, book for for. Uh, those that have been adopted to understand what's happened to them. It's called the primal wound to help them understand that um, what they've had happen to them and just make them much better understanding of the brain and how it works and just uh, how to foster good attachment in kids that have come from these, what is called hard places. So I guess, you know, I, I still realize that there's still a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding out there now we most people don't hide adoption from their kids like they used to in the old days like they wouldn't kids would find out when they're 18 or 21 that they were adopted and things like that people now know they need to tell their kids but even so i think people still don't understand that they are different um and it doesn't mean it's bad it's just understanding it is helpful
1: yeah that there's there's going to actually be a challenge there. Yep. You yeah. Know, we said, "My husband says adoption is messy, and it's
2: hard, and it's uncomfortable, but it does. It's good. So
1: it's." <laughs> <laughs> yes, just like most um things that stretch our faith, they are. It is hard, but like you said, good. Um. So I guess um we're we're almost out of time here. I guess my last question would be, um, are there any misconceptions? in our culture about adoption that you'd like to refute or any misconceptions um, in the Christian culture that you'd like to refute?
2: I, there's not a, there, I think there's probably are a lot of misconceptions, but I think that the, um, we've ta- touched on the one which is adoption is mm-hmm. not a calling, which we talked about that already. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that one of my friends, she says every time she tells them that we've adopted all these kids, they say, oh, they must be really wealthy. And I think that that's another misconception that if, you know, you've adopted many kids that you have to have a certain amount of money. Um, Mm -hmm. We have friends that are full-time missionaries and they're now adopting their 10th daughter with severe CP and they have all their kids have severe CP. So they have only two that walk and the rest are all either wheelchair bound or bed bound. And so, and they're full-time missionaries. And so they can do it on their meager salary you know it's it's not for the wealthy it's for the faithful and yes. so that would be another misconception and um i guess it's just because it's hard doesn't mean um it's you know it's easy to say yes to the coffee ministry um, yes. you know that's not a hard one to say yes to um mm-hmm. saying yes to um having a child in your home 24/7 for the next however many years Especially if they have special needs, could be a lot longer. Um, it's a lot harder. So, yes.
1: yes. All right. Well, I um, I think that you gave a lot of awesome information. I personally feel encouraged. I I am I'm excited about adoption, and um, I, I know that a lot of people listening are are interested as well. Um, I guess um, maybe one last question. Um, where would you encourage us uh, to start?
2: I I always tell people to start somewhere. You know, it's like and but the most important thing is to start in prayer, and you know, be prayerful and asking the Lord to lead you. Um, and then my encouragement would be to study Job twenty nine and Job thirty one. And people are like Job, like you know, always yeah. think of James one twenty seven as as your go to verse. Yes, study Job. God said Job was righteous, and God, he was, like, he was, he he pointed him out to Satan. He said, hey, Satan, have you seen Job? He's, he's above reproach, like, he's, you know, have you considered him Satan? And it's like, why, God, are you, like, pointing out this guy, you know, to, to Satan? And when you read Job's own defense for why God saw him as righteous, and it was because, he said, he cared for the fatherless when they were, when before, while he was at, in his mother's womb, he was caring for the fatherless, and so the example was set for him. He obviously was a caretaker of orphans. He had widows in his house. He was he was worried about justice. He was going to break the fangs of 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 the of evil. And when you study those passages, you're like, oh my goodness, if I'm you know, we always think of Job's suffering, but do we realize Job suffered? But he was he was above repro- like he was. The, the top person for God to point out and say, Hey, consider Job. And so if we want to be like Job, and most people are afraid of Job because they don't they're afraid they're gonna suffer. And mm-hmm. but he was he suffered because he was he was who he was and his relationship with the Lord. And so I say start there with with the Lord is and the in Job and um also Attend a free seminar, there's tons of free seminars um, at um, most area of uh, adoption agencies will allow you to go to um, free information night and you can mm-hmm. find out about domestic adoption, foster care, um, international adoption. And then the other thing is you can fill out a preliminary application with any adoption agency online and they're free and they'll tell you which countries you qualify for. Um, they can give you more information about the cost and what's involved and get the home study started. And then, like you mentioned, Reese's Rainbow is one of the clearing houses. terrible word, but it is what it is. It's helping to get these kids out there so you can see their faces. Because once you see a face, you're more likely to make a connection. Yeah. And then there's another one called Rainbow Kids. And Rainbow Kids is um, another big, giant one where are lots of kids, um, and you can actually filter it by, specifically by special need you can say you know if you only want to look for kids with down syndrome or, Albu- or or those that are have cerebral palsy or whatever you can pick just that you know special need and a specific age and they'll give you a list of all the
1: kids that meet those criteria so wow. I would
2: say those are good starting points
1: yes yes all right well thank you so much don for giving us your time and um, for being an example um, of faithfulness. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank
2: Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Regiment. We hope this podcast inspires and equips you to go and exercise dominion for Christ's kingdom. Terrible as an army with banners.